Let's pray, and we will dig in through uh, Ezekiel chapter 28. God, man, Lord, thank you, Father, for your word, and thank you, God, for the opportunity we have to come here tonight. God, thank you for the worship, Lord, and just the sweetness, God, of it is not through us, Lord. It's through you in us, Lord God. It's through you working in us, Father. And so tonight, here we come, Lord God, and we're asking, Holy Spirit, would you work in us, Father, to speak your truth into our hearts, God. Lord, your word, your word tells us, God, that it will not return void, Father. And I'm asking tonight, would you get me out of the way as we discuss this, Lord God, as we look at these things, Father, I'm asking, Lord, for each one, Lord, would you speak individually into their lives, Lord, what they need to hear from the message tonight, God. And I trust and, and, and pray, Father, that you are gonna do just that work, Lord God. And so, Lord, just be with us tonight, I pray in Jesus' name, amen. All right. So last week, you guys remember, we looked at the judgment against the city of Tyre, right? And we talked about the fact that um, Tyre was like this wealthy city, right? And like God went through and he kind of compared them to a ship because they were a, a city that was backed up right up against the Mediterranean. And they had like, they had money. They were a wealthy, wealthy city. I kind of compared them to New York City, right? And they thought very highly of themselves, sort of like New York City sort of does, right? And uh, <laughs> there's this kind of feeling of like a similarity there and so we looked at the fact that God was like, man, I'm gonna bring you down. And we talked all about that. If you guys missed it, go listen to it, right? We talked about the fact that Nebuchadnezzar took him out, but then eventually like even Alexander the Great came and he built like a mile, or I'm sorry, a half a mile long land bridge with the garbage from the city as he destroyed it to create a land bridge to go out and destroy the island that they would go and escape to, right? And then later on in the 1300s, they were wiped off the map, which is what God said was gonna happen. And so we looked at the fact that God can make a proclamation of something and it might not happen right when we think it's going to, but I promise you his word is true. So what he says is gonna happen. So when you guys read the book of Revelation, you don't need to be like, man, I don't know. No, I do know. It will happen. When? I don't know, <laughs> right? And I'm okay with that. God, I trust, is going to do it in his time. So last week we looked at all that. This week we're gonna be drilling down into the leadership of the city, specifically the king. And we're going to look at this man who was full of pride, full of pride. And it shouldn't surprise us, should it? Because the leader was full of pride. And we looked last week at the fact that the whole city was full of pride, right? Like as the leadership goes, typically that doesn't begin to influence the people underneath, right? And so isn't it true? And so often we see that. And so here we see the same thing where the city just thought so highly of itself and its defenses and all that. Well, we see that it started right at the very, very top and not on a much grander level, which we'll look at. But the fact is, you guys, we're gonna hear finally at the end of this, we're gonna look at a lament. And this lament is God telling Ezekiel, sing a lament, like speak a lament. And we talked about the fact that just like last week, no one was giving any lament. No one was mourning the fall of Judah, but God called Ezekiel to mourn the fall of these, this city this mighty city. And we talked about the fact that there's not anything on this earth. We weep with those who weep and that's not just our friends. That's our enemies too, right? We looked at all those things last week. And so it's an interesting thing that we're gonna look at. And I, and I, I, I gotta admit, it's, it's, it's so interesting to me to, 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 to dig into this. And so, yeah, as we look at this, man, just you might be surprised at what God's choosing to lament because here's what he's lamenting, you guys. He's lamenting the fall of the spiritual power over the king of Tyre. And who is that? Satan. 
He's lamenting it. He's talking about Satan in the end of this. And he's saying like, man, like, look at who you were and look at where you are now based on your own decisions, based on your own choices. One final thing I want to point out before we get going is you guys are going to see something and there's a reason that I really believe that this is Satan. Not all scholars believe that it's speaking of Satan. I don't see how you can see it any other way. Here's some pointers. Here's one major pointer, you guys. If you read there in verse one, if you look down, or should I say verse two, it says, son of man, say to the prince of Tyre. Do you see that? That word prince there, you guys, it refers to the king of Tyre and it's a Hebrew word, which is nagid, which means commander, chief, or captain. Later on, we're going to see in the lament where he says, you know, speak to the king or let me go there because I don't want to misquote what it says. It says, the word of the Lord came to me saying, son of man, take up a lamentation for the king of Tyre in verse 12. That word king there is melech. And that word melech in the, in the Hebrew is king or royalty. So it's speaking of two separate things, right? Do you get that? And so we need to keep that in mind as we dig in because we're gonna look at this and you're gonna understand why I truly believe it is what it is. But let's start here in verse one of chapter 28. It says this, the word of the Lord came to me again saying, son of man, say to the prince of Tyre, thus says the Lord God, because your heart is lifted up and you say, I am a God, I sit in the seats of God in the midst of the seas, yet you are a man and not a God. Though you, set your, as, uh, though you set your heart as the heart of a God, and then notice this is in parentheses, behold, you are wiser than Daniel. There is no secret that can be hidden from you. With your wisdom and your understanding, you have gained riches for yourself and gathered gold and silver into your treasuries. By your great wisdom in trade, you have increased your riches and your heart is lifted up because of your riches. And that's the end of the parentheses there. This is a very long parenthetical statement. And we're gonna look at this. So you guys, God now begins to talk about this prince. And we talked about the fact that there's an important distinction here. Who's the prince? The prince is literally the king. The king at this point, over, the, over Tyre, just for your history knowledge, was Ith, Ithabal. And Ithabal II. And Josephus refers to him as Ithobalus II. But same guy, Ithabal. The date for this prophecy by many scholars was right before the siege against Tyre actually began. And that was around 585 BC. And remember how long I told you Nebuchadnezzar had a siege against him? 13 years. So think about this. Ezekiel here is saying, listen, not only is the city gonna fall, but now God's telling me to, to say something specifically to the king, specifically to the king of that thing. And I'm, he's not even giving him the due to call him a king. He calls him a prince. You guys, he's doing this for a very, very big reason. Why? Because Ithabal thought very, very highly of himself. So highly of himself, you guys, that he went around telling everybody that he was a god. Do you see why God said, yeah, listen here, little prince. Do you get it? He's like, God, really? You know, like, mm, I don't think so. And that parenthetical statement there we see, this is stuff that Ithabal was saying about himself. Behold, basically, you are wiser than Daniel. Like, that's what people were saying about him because that's what he was saying about himself. He's like, oh yeah, I'm wiser than Daniel. I'm smarter than that guy. And this is interesting, you guys, because here's the truth. It's interesting that here Daniel's mentioned because it shows us something. Daniel was famous 
for his wisdom in the day of his life. Daniel was known, right? He wasn't just known in Babylon proper. He was known outside of Babylon. He was known pretty much everywhere. It's kind of interesting because here's Daniel, this guy that was going, basically taken captive by Babylon. You guys know the story. He stands up for what God wants every time, pretty much, right? Like every time, like they're like, hey, here's all this choice meat. Here's all this wine. Here's the stuff that you're supposed to eat as a student, basically, being prepared for governmental work. And he said, hey, you know what? Just feed us vegetables. Do, we need to keep the diet. We're trying to follow Jehovah. And they, they, he worked with them right? And God showed him favor. And so he was able to do that. And what did it say about him and his friends? They were better than the other ones in every way, in their appearance, right? In, in their knowledge, in every part, they were better. And then we know, right? That goes on and on and on. What happened to Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? Radshach and Benny? For anybody that knows the veggie tales. What happened to them? Well, they didn't bow down to their little chocolate bunny, <laughs> No, you guys, they didn't bow down to the, to the statue of, of Nebuchadnezzar, right? And then they got thrown into the fiery furnace. And then Nebuchadnezzar, after he killed some of his guards when they threw him in, right? Because they died from the fire being so hot. Then there, he's looking in there. He's like, wait a minute, there's four, there's four people in there. And they got taken back out, right? There's all this stuff and they didn't have any burns on them. All these things that we see that God did through the life of Daniel and his friends, but Daniel specifically, he was well-known, well-known, you guys, I, I want us to think about this. Because the reality is for Ithabal, do you notice that in this parenthetical statement, Ezekiel makes some points here that he said about himself that Ezekiel doesn't contend against that. He says, uh, you know, that with your wisdom and your understanding, you have gained riches for yourself and gathered gold and silver into your treasuries. By your great wisdom in trade, you have increased your riches. Let's stop there. Ezekiel says like, man, Ithabal did have wisdom in his financial affairs. He wasn't a dumb guy. He was a genius in trade and he did very well for himself and the people under him. And you don't see anything here that's really coming against him. But what's intriguing to me is God didn't come against him because of his riches and wealth. Did you see that? Why did he come against him? Because of his pride and his arrogance. That's why. It's okay, right? There's nowhere in scripture that says that wealth is wrong. David was wealthy. Solomon was wealthy. It's not your wealth that gets you in trouble. It's what you let it do to you that gets you in trouble, right? right? What does wealth do a lot of times? What does power and prestige do? Puffs your head up, right? You're like, this door used to be big enough. <laughs> now it doesn't fit. Oh, shoot. Make a bigger door. I got money, <laughs> right? It's ridiculous, right? We get big heads. We get puffed up. It's the fact that he literally said, like, I'm a God. That's, you better watch yourself when you start talking like that, right? And God says it plainly. You're just a man. You're just a man. You do, you're not who you think you are. All the money in the world does not make you anything more than a man or a woman, right? You're, not, you're human. You're flesh and blood. If you're gifted and God's blessed you with more money, praise God. What are you supposed to do with it? Keep asking that question right? Humble yourself a little bit and recognize that God could just as easily take all that away in five milliseconds. Faster than one second, that could all be gone. The fact that Ithabal mentions Daniel as something that he was bragging about being more wise is interesting because what was Daniel's story of his life? Did Daniel ever let any of his 
prestige, his power, or even his wealth or anything, because apparently he did have some power, right? He was, he made it all the way up. Like he was way up in the upper echelons of governmental work, right? Like he was the most trusted guy and not just with Nebuchadnezzar. Remember the next Persians came in, same thing there, right? Like Daniel was a well-known guy and a well-respected guy and a well-paid guy, I'm sure. Did any of that ever get to him? get to him? Was, do we ever hear or read of Daniel being like, and then he went through a little bit of a phase where he bought a Tesla and he was really, really fancy. <laughs> no, right? We don't read any of that. Daniel was just a humble guy, right? He was just a guy that realized that like, I am only where I am because of God's favor in my life. Whenever he was called to, to do a dream, what was the first thing he said? Like, it's not me. God's, God might give you something, right? We see that in the lives of so many other people too that are called in to do dreams and they're like, look, God will give me an interpretation, yes, but it is not me, right? Even down to the fact, do you guys remember that Daniel was called in by uh, the son of Nebuchadnezzar right at the very end when Persia was literally invading and they're like, we'll give you a third of the kingdom. He's like, keep it, it's going down. That's the answer to that writing on the wall that you see, right? Like, you remember that? And he was like, you're going down, you're going to die tonight, just so you know. You can let me go back to my house, bye, right? Like, <laughs> I don't want this. It's interesting because Daniel was only wise because God gave him interpretations for the dreams. Daniel was only wise because God showed him favor and he stepped out in obedience to follow God. We need to hear that, you guys, because can't we all get a little big for our britches? Can't we all think a little bit more highly of ourselves? I freely admit there've been times, listen, there were times in my life that God would give me a word and I would go speak it to someone and I'd be like, oh yeah, look at me. And then five milliseconds later, I'd be like, I've got nothing. Right, God, do you get my point? Like those people that just like are constantly kind of processing like this is what I can do or this is who I am and that stuff like that. And you're like, really? Is that really what you're about? Because God can remove all of that in a second. How about we humble ourselves and recognize that if there's anything good in us, it's from the Lord. Daniel was humble. He didn't let the fame get to his head. And so it's interesting that this guy that's saying, I'm a God, also is like, I'm also smarter than Daniel. Well, if you're a God there, Mr. Man, you should be smarter than Daniel, just by definition, right? It shouldn't need to be pointed out. The fact that you have to point it out tells me that you probably think that you're not telling the truth, right? It's like that person is always like, let me tell you the truth. I just need to tell you the truth. I need to tell you the truth. Dude, you're lying to me. Stop, stop. If you need to tell me the truth, just say it. You shouldn't have to qualify it, right? You guys get what I'm getting at? So here's this guy that unlike Daniel, Ithabal, arrogant, proud man, let the wealth and the power go to his head. He was drunk with it. Let's keep reading, verse six. Therefore, thus says the Lord God, because you have set your heart as the heart of a God, behold, therefore, I will bring strangers against you, the most terrible of the nations." And they shall draw their swords against the beauty of your wisdom and defile your splendor. They shall throw you down into the pit. And we talked about what the pit was, right? Death and hell. And you shall die the death of the slain in the midst of the seas. You will still say before him who slays you, I am a God. Notice that's a question mark at the end. <laughs> but you shall be a man and not a God. In the hand of him who slays you, you shall die the death of the uncircumcised by the hand of aliens, for I have spoken, says the Lord God. That is a terrifying thing. 
So God says to Ithabal, like, you think you're a God? You believe you're a God? I'm telling you this. I'm sending you strangers. If you're such a God, tell me who I'm sending. You don't even know. You can't know because you're not a God. And I'm sending you the worst of them all, right? Babylon at this point was the world power. They were the force to be reckoned with. They were it. They were the ones that were going around and defeating everyone. That's the way it was going down, right? And so here they are and they're coming and, and he's saying, you don't even know who's coming against you really. Like you don't get the force of people that are coming to you. You don't get it. You're not much of a God, right? If people are unknown to you, if you're not aware of how this is all gonna go down, I would say you're not much of a God. That's what God's trying to make clear to Ithabal. He's like, look, you're, you're human. And you know what? If you don't believe it, and he doesn't believe it because he says, clear up to the very end, he's gonna look at the guy and be like, I am a God. <laughs> With like a questioning end, right? A little lilt at the end for a question because he's gonna be like, am I? And then he's like, no, you're gonna find out that you're mortal, just like everybody else when you die. It's sad. And he says, Where are you, where's your body gonna go? Where's your soul, your immortal soul going? To, the, to hell, to the pit. Only God gets to make that determination. Only God gets to determine that. And I think, you guys, no human is gonna decide where they go. And too many humans in this world think that that's the way it's gonna be. Oh, God's gonna, I'm gonna get to heaven and they're gonna realize that I'm a pretty good guy or I'm a pretty good girl. No, you're not. The Bible makes it clear. Our righteousness is like filthy rags. And that is like toilet paper, used toilet paper. That's literally what the Greek is saying. It's disgusting in comparison to God's righteousness and faith and perfection, right? Like in comparison, we got nothing. How do we come to God? Through Jesus. John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. That's the only way we get there, you guys. And so here's this guy saying this. Here we hear this in the world, don't we? Like, oh, I'm good. Oh, I'm this. Oh, when I get to heaven, I'm gonna have a chat with Peter and we're gonna figure this out. All these things. You, you really think highly of yourself because here's what you're gonna be doing. Oh God, you're real. That's what you're gonna be doing. That's it. God asks Ithabal, when you're on your knees before your captor, you gonna tell this person you're a God? The obvious answer is no. And even if you're so delusional that you seem to think you're a God, when you end up in hell, which is where I'm telling you you're going, you'll realize you were never a God. Verse 11, encouraged yet? All right, let's keep going. Moreover, the word of the Lord came to me saying, son of man, take up a lamentation for the king of Tyre and say to him, thus says the Lord God. I want you guys to hear this. You were the seal of perfection, full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. You were in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone was your covering, the sardis, topaz, and diamond, beryl, onyx, and jasper, sapphire, turquoise, and emerald with gold. The workmanship of your timbrels and pipes was prepared for you on the day you were created. You were the anointed cherub who covers. I established you. You were on the holy mountain of God. You walked back and forth in the midst of fiery stones. You were perfect in your ways from the day you were created till iniquity, iniquity was found in you. Does that sound like we're talking about the king of Tyre? It doesn't to me. 
It doesn't to me. Was the king of Tyre in the Garden of Eden? I don't think so. This is a major shift here, you guys. And I want us, like we talked about before, notice the shift between prince and king. The king had real authority here. The king was really in authority of Tyre. Who is the king of this world? Self-proclaimed king? Satan, right? He's the one that's like, oh, I got all the power I need. I got it, I got it, I got this world. And what's his only job? We talked about this on Sunday. Satan doesn't need you to believe in him. He just needs you not to believe in Jesus. Which shows complete lack of power, doesn't it? But it's all he needs. And he, he's, he's just as, he, well, not just as, he's more prideful. He's more of everything than what we read here about the prince, the king of Tyre, the real king of Tyre, right? So here, here's the, the power behind the power of Tyre, right? The power spiritually behind this guy. And I want us to look at some things. These things I don't believe can be applied to a mere human. Present in the Garden of Eden. Guardian cherubim. That's an angel, by the way. That means it's not Adam. It's, right? It's not that. Beauty and perfection from his creation. Right? Freedom to enter heaven. That's not Adam. That's the mountain of God, right? Instruments were created for him from his creation. And the way this reads in Hebrew is actually that they were actually created in him. So did you notice that it said that his body is made up of all these different stones and stuff? And it says that his, his, the instruments that were created, it's almost like they were created in him. We know, right, that Satan was in heaven, the angel in charge of music. He was the angel and he made beautiful music. And, and by the, 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 the thing here, you guys, do you see, not all of these are here, but a lot, but let me say it this way. The things that we read here, these different stones, you guys, these were present in the 12, in the high priest's breastplate. You know what I'm talking about? The 12 stones that represent, these are some of them that are here. This is what he was made of. Imagine the beauty of that. Imagine, a, and also the freakiness, but you know what I mean? But I'm like, this angel was beautiful. This angel sounded beautiful. There was so much going on for Lucifer. He had it all going on. He was good. He had it figured out. And it says right here, he's like, you were perfect, verse 15, in your ways from the day you were created till iniquity was found in you. You guys, I don't see how this could be speaking of anyone except Satan. He's the only being that fits all of these all at the same time. And God shows us, you guys, that even this he's saying here is worth lamenting. The fall of Satan and a third of the angels didn't catch God off guard, but it also didn't bring him joy to do it. You guys get that? We need to understand that. God's not up there being like, wow, yeah, you got what you deserve. Mm, 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 mm. That's not God. God's not also up there like weeping over things because he's a just God, right? So in his grace and mercy and justice, all at the same time, all combined, he is perfectly able to handle every situation perfectly. But I, it, it, it kind of blesses my heart to know that even this, he's like, even the power behind this guy, he's like, why? Did, why? Why would you have done that? Do you know what I mean? It gives me peace in my own heart that he looks at me and he's like, why? Why, why, why do you do these dumb things that you do? I love you. I got you. That's the difference. Satan won't repent, right? The, 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 the demons won't repent. There's no repentance for them because they choose not to until the end of eternity. Why do I know that? Because that's what it tells me in Revelation, right? But humanity, you guys, we have 
the ability day by day, moment by moment, at any point in our lives, clear up to our final breath to say, I repent of my sin. God, I need you. Jesus, I, I accept what you did on the cross for me. We have that privilege clear up to the end of our days, the very last moment of our last breath. You guys, God desires relationship with his creation, all of his creation, doesn't he? God desires relationship and it's in his perfect justice that he gets to choose how that works. He gets to choose that. And for all of his creation, he's saying, look, this is how it works. Angels, I created you to serve me, period. End of sentence. That's your job. That's your MO. That's what you do. A third of them and Satan said, nope, not gonna do it. I think I'm actually gonna take your place, which actually a lot of scholars, and I tend to see this too, he wasn't really saying he wanted to be God, God, as much as he was saying he wanted to be like God, like humanity. So it's almost in a way like Satan was saying, like, I wanna be like this. In other words, think about this. In the Garden of Eden, you guys, Adam and Eve were above the angels. When they sinned and fell, that's what it says in Hebrews, that they now were a little lower than the angels. So guess what? When we get to heaven, that's going to switch again. In our, in our new state, we're not going to be above the angels. We're going to be above the angels, but not in some weird way, right? Like I don't, when, we're not, when we get to heaven and we're above the angels, we're not going to be like, ha-ha, yeah, you. <laughs> no. Because again, we're going to have new minds. We're going to be thinking perfectly, right? Like differently. We're going to be thinking in a different way. Our minds are going to be made new. Our bodies are going to be made new. There's going to be something different about us, and we're all going to be serving the Lord right? That's awesome. So Satan here, he's saying all these things and, and God's saying, man, what the heck? The sad truth is, is sin in Satan brought him down. Pride and arrogance, the same thing we're seeing in this king. And he's going to continue to walk that out and for the rest of humanity, you guys. And I got to say this, isn't there a very clear indication of Satan's handprint or foot, you know, fingerprint on all, of him, on all of us, humanity in general. There's so much influence that Satan has here on this earth. Pride, power, lust, and arrogance, right? They're all from Satan. And the fact is they're very easily, easily observed things in our own culture, isn't it? In, the, in humanity as a whole. And I want to say this, these are things that we look at and it's like, yeah, that's purely Satan, pride, power, lust, arrogance, all those things that we can look and be like, yep, that's the fingerprint of Satan in the life of humanity, love, grace, mercy, and humility. Those are fingerprints of God. And guess what? They are not natural. We don't need Satan to be prideful. Satan tempts us towards it, but we don't need him to do that. Why? Because that's our MO. That's our bend. Power, we love it. We want more of it right? Lust and arrogance. I mean, come on, guys. Those are easy. That's easy. Like, Satan's like, I didn't have to do much work on that one. <laughs> he did it himself, <laughs> right? Like, that's a lot of times how that works. Love, grace, mercy, and humility, all those things, this fruit of the Spirit, right? All those things, they're not natural, but can I say this? They're worth so much more, aren't they? They're worth so much more. That's the thing, guys, that as Christians that we get to do. Here we're looking at all the negatives and all the stuff. And the fact is, is that when we look at that, it should be disgusting to us because it should say, man, Lord, don't, don't let me walk down that path. Don't let me be that way. Let me be different. Let me be holy, set apart for you. 
How do we do that? Through the Spirit's power, right? Not on our own. Let's keep reading. Verse 16. By the abundance of your trading, you became filled with violence within and you sinned. Therefore, I cast you as a profane thing out of the mountain of God. And I destroyed you, O covering cherub, from the midst of the fiery stones. Your heart was lifted up because of your beauty. You corrupted your wisdom for the sake of your splendor. I cast you to the ground. I laid you before kings that they might gaze at you. You defiled your sanctuaries by the multitude of your iniquities, by the iniquity of your trading. Therefore, I brought fire from your midst. It devoured you and I turned you to ashes upon the earth in the sight of all who saw you. All who knew you among the peoples are astonished at you. You have become a horror and you shall be no more forever. This is an interesting passage of scripture because there's some things here that I wanna look at. So we see here five different things that God says, but I want to go back because there's this interesting parallel to Isaiah. Isaiah spoke of Satan as well. Let's flip back over there to Isaiah chapter 14, verse 11 is where we're going to look at. And this is talking about the fall of Lucifer. Isaiah chapter 14, verse 11. It says this, your pomp is brought down to Sheol and the sound of your stringed instruments the maggot is spread under you and, your, and worms cover you. How you are fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning. How you are cut down to the ground, you who weakened the nations. For you have said in your heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will also sit on the mount of the congregation on the furthest sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the most high. Yet you shall be brought down to Sheol, to the lowest depths of the pit. I want you guys to notice in there that there are these five I will statements that Satan gives, right? He says, I will ascend into heaven. He was already in heaven, so why was he saying that? He was saying he wanted to like ascend into heaven like humanity did, maybe. That's what some people think. And there are other people that feel like, yeah, he actually wanted God's spot, right? I don't know what the answer is there, you guys. I feel like there's arguments for both sides. Does that make sense? So I, I'm not acting like I've got an answer here. I'm saying they're both interesting to me because it's not like God is already, or that Satan's already up in, up in heaven just coming to war against God because remember who's in charge of Satan? God. God never stops being in charge. There's only one sovereign in the entire universe. It's God, not Satan, right? But we don't see that. Who's he warring against? Humanity. And that's why some of this to me kind of fits. I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. Also sit on the mount of the congregation. In other words, I'm going to be in charge of all this. Ascend above the heights of the clouds and be like the most high. These are the five I will statements by Satan. He's an angel, you guys. What was his will supposed to be? God's will. God's will. Do you see how this even and of itself speaks of like him wanting to be like humanity, have his own will, have his own free choice? And it's like he came against what God had designed him to do. This is answered by God himself. And this is what I wanted to look at. Flip back over with me to Ezekiel. So these five statements, you guys, are answered in this chapter. And I wanna look at that. Because here, God actually gives himself. He tells Satan, He's like, here's my will for you. Here's my will because of these choices that you made, because you've fallen, right? Because of all these things that have happened, he says this, 
I cast you as a profane thing out of the mountain of God. I cast you as a profane thing out of the mountain of God, out of heaven. I destroyed you. I cast you to the ground. I laid you before kings that they might gaze at you. That's three. Four, I brought fire from your midst. And five, I turned you to ashes upon the earth. Has that happened yet, you guys? No, not all that's happened yet. He's not destroyed yet. He's still alive and well. He's been cast to the ground in the sense that he is here on this earth. But we also know from the book of Revelation that it will not happen until near the end of the time that he will be completely cast out of heaven. He still goes to heaven right now. If that bakes your noodle, if that blows your mind, well, read Revelation and you'll read that. That's what it, it's there. It's plain as day. Do I understand all that? No, I don't. We see this in Job too, right? He was up in, he was up in heaven talking to God and God's like, hey, consider my guy Job, right? So like, it's obvious that Satan still has access to heaven. So some of this stuff, you guys, we got, again, just like we looked at before, God's word is true. Whether it happens in the time that we make, it makes sense to us doesn't mean that it's not going to happen. It just means it hasn't happened yet right? It shouldn't bring us doubt in our heart. It should just be like, okay, God, I know you're going to do this. I know you're going to destroy him. I know that he's been cast out as a profane thing, but he will literally be cast out as a profane thing because we read about it in the book of Revelation at a future time. I cast you to the ground. I lay you before kings that they might gaze at you. You guys, that will happen right before he gets thrown into the pit. We read about that in the book of Revelation, right? I brought fire from your midst. If, there, if there's one thing hell is, it's fire and brimstone. It's all those things. It's all going to be coming. He's going to be there suffering. He's not going to be in head, the head guy or in charge of hell. That's not how it's going to be, right? He's not going to be the guy that's like, hey, torture him a couple, a little bit more, right? I'm going to go back and get some rest. Like, that's not how it's going to be. No, he's going to be tortured as well. And all the demons, they will be just as equally tortured. And it says, I turned you to ashes upon the earth. I don't get that part. I don't fully grasp what that all means, but I trust that God does. God answers hundreds of years later from when Isaiah wrote that down. He answers it in Ezekiel and he has yet to fully bring that to pass. Our God is a big God, you guys. And I love how he says it in the past tense. Why? Because it shows that God is outside of time. In his mind, this is a done deal. It's happened. And as negative as that sounds, I want you Christians to be encouraged in this. It's also a done deal that his son died for you and that you're saved. It's a done deal. It's a done deal. In his eyes, you are fully justified. Now, what that looks like on earth is a sanctification process. Justification, sanctification, two different words. Justification, we are justified. In God's sight, we are justified. We are justified. Why? Because of the blood of Christ. It's already been done. Now, what's that look like on our life? Sanctification, right? We walk through it. You guys, God is just. He's not just gonna let Satan have free reign. He's not gonna allow Satan to continue to tempt the world forever. We see that in the book of Revelation. There will be a time when he will be dealt with once and for all, entirely. And we need to understand the gravity of what we're reading, you guys, because God is looking past the human issue that he sees in this one king and he's looking to this, this deeper thing, the spiritual level of what's happening, the spiritual kind of like world that we're in. And as we see this little guy 
saying little things like, I'm a God, I'm a God. It kind of reminds me of the Avengers. You guys ever see that when the Hulk grabs, grabs Loki? And Loki's like, I'm a God. And he goes, wham, 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 wham. And then as he's laying there in a crater, and he's like, he's like, puny God. And like walks away. It's kind of what I feel like God's doing, like whack, whack, whack. <laughs> you know, like, dude, it's not the way things are. It's not real, right? Like, that's just not the situation. But the reality is there's something even behind all that that, that God here is addressing, and it's the real tempter the one that is walking in pride every day, the one that actually thinks he's going to still somehow bring about the defeat of God, even though it's already done. It's already written. And the arrogance of, of Satan, I don't even know if we can get our head around because even though he realizes that, he still thinks there's some loophole that he's gonna find. It's that ridiculous. You guys, I got to say this because I, I hear this a lot and I think it's something that we need to deal with. We cannot walk around. It is naive of us to walk around and think that there's not spiritual things happening all around us all the time. It's just the truth. That is the reality. But here's the other thing. We are equally incorrect when we make statements like the devil made me do it. Or I just couldn't resist it. Am I, the temptation was too much. Do you think that Satan and God are yin and yang? No. Satan is puny. God is huge. His Holy Spirit is in you. The devil doesn't make you do it because the Holy Spirit can make you do something different. It's your choice. So own your own stuff. And at the same time, recognize, yes, there is temptation, Right? There are those overwhelming in our own flesh things that are like, hey, go look at that porn site, <laughs> right? Or moments where you're like, pride, 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 pride is just killing you. And you're like, dude, that hurt my heart. I don't wanna hear that or that offended me or whatever. And so I'm gonna react to that. There's those moments. And yes, there's real temptation. There is real demonic temptation. And the fact is Satan's got way more important things to be doing than to be tempting us. So it's probably, like I've said before, some little imp demon that's like, hey, 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 and they're powerful and they've got power to do whatever they want to do sort of to us as we allow that, right? As we don't choose to follow the Holy Spirit, but instead follow our own flesh. So I'm not acting like there's not some spiritual thing. I'm also saying as Christians, you guys, we need to understand the authority that we have in Christ. Not, um, hear me out. I'm not saying like we're gonna stomp on the devil's head and we're gonna do all that stuff that you hear in some churches. It's not what I'm getting at. What I'm getting at is the authority that we have to say, Lord, I choose to follow you. Lord, I choose to listen and obey you in this. That's the authority that we have. That's the power that we have in us the Holy Spirit residing in us. Do we always choose the right? No. If we did, we wouldn't really have a need for the Holy Spirit, would we? Do you get my point? Like, yeah, we're gonna make mistakes. We're gonna screw it up. And we need to recognize, yeah, there's a real tempter, but what we need not do though as Christians is to give him more power than he's due. The devil did not make you do it. You chose to follow him in it. Own it. Because that brings me to a place of repentance where I can be like, oh God, here I am again. Father, forgive me. You know, Father, help me, to, help me to see this more clearly next time. Help me to not get wrapped up into this. Help me to phone a friend, right? That's what the church is here for. You know, two in the morning, dude, I want to smoke weed. Dude, I want to do this. 
I need this. I got this. Okay, let's go. Let's go figure it out. I had friends before in the military that would call me at 3 a.m. and I would go meet them in the Walmart parking lot and we would talk. And I'd be like, tomorrow I'm gonna be very tired. But I'm glad we did that than for them to fall into things that they knew they were super tempted to do at the moment. Does that make sense? That's what we're here for, you guys. God's filled us with the Holy Spirit. And if you're a believer here today, you have the resources that you need to walk in the Spirit. Do not get it twisted, though. You're not gonna do that perfectly. (laughs) But you have the resources you need. We all do. And that is as much the Holy Spirit living in us and convicting us and bringing those little still small voices that say, ah, don't do that. Eh, You shouldn't do that, right? Those things that you hear that sometimes we choose to ignore. But it's as much that as it is phoning a friend, as it is those random phone calls that you get right before you're gonna blow your top. Do you get what I'm saying? And you guys all know what I'm talking about. Those are like lifelines from God saying like, here, I'm trying to help you out. Answer the phone, don't blow your top on your wife right now. Right, like just answer your phone. Walk away for a second. Go on a walk, go do something different. Talk to somebody, get out of your house. Go to a private place or go to a public place instead of a private place where you're gonna fall into the sin that you're wanting to do. Do you know what I'm saying? There's all these options that we have available to us. We're not gonna walk out it perfectly, but we are given everything that we need. Satan, you guys, is not equal but opposite to God. It's not the way it is. And we need to get our head around that. Christians sometimes fall into that trap of acting like Satan's equal. Like, I don't know, man, it was just too much. It wasn't too much. You chose to let it be too much. And that's a very important distinction. Not to beat you up, but to, for you to own your sin so that you can take it to God and be like, yeah, I messed up, God. Would you forgive me for this? Would you help me to walk in the spirit better next time? You know? Verse 20. Then the word of the Lord came to me saying, son of man, set your face towards Sidon and prophesy against her and say, thus says the Lord God, behold, I am against you, O Sidon. I will be glorified in your midst and they shall know that I am the Lord. There it is again. When I execute judgments in her and am hallowed in her, for I will send pestilence upon her and blood in her streets. The wounded shall be judged in her midst by the sword against her on every side. Then they shall know that I am the Lord. And there shall no longer be a prickling briar or a painful thorn for the house of Israel from among all who are around them, who despise them, that they shall know that I am the Lord God. You guys, this is one of those other port cities that was connected in a lot of ways to Tyre. It was kind of right above north of Tyre, right? And so we have documentation from Nebuchadnezzar's court that still exists. And so we know from that that the king of Sidon was actually captured and the city was conquered during basically right around the same time as the conquest in Tyre was happening. And they did the same thing, siege wall broke it down. So that's what he's talking about here. This pestilence, well, what happens whenever you lock a city down and don't let them have any water or any food? pestilence, right? Like all this rot, there's no way to get healthy stuff in and out. And there's all this other stuff that happens. And so, yeah, they went down. God's not messing around. And so here we see another city brought down, brought to its knees. But 
I, I think it's interesting what he says here at the end of Sidon. Did you notice that? Verse 24, and there shall no longer be a prickling briar or a painful thorn for the house of Israel from among all who are around them. You guys, there is a complete removal of Sidon. They don't come back. This is it. And the reality is, as we see here, that they were a thorn in the side. As many of these nations were a thorn in the side of Israel. And God will eventually, you guys, deal with this. And that's what he's saying here. And I wanna say this. Is this true, you guys? Has God already taken care of this for them? He took care of Sidon, but do they still have nations that exist around them that are thorns in their side? Right, I think that's a pretty easy answer. Yes, yes, they do. So again, God is saying here, listen, there's gonna come a time when this will not be. There's gonna come a time when this changes. And so just as he dealt with Sidon, just as he dealt with Tyre back then, you guys, he will deal with all the people that are around them right now that are their enemies. They're surrounded by enemies. We can trust that he's gonna work on, on his people's behalf. And so let's keep reading. This is the most coolest part, the last two verses. You guys ready? Thus says the Lord God, when I have gathered the house of Israel from the peoples among whom they are scattered and am hallowed in them in the sight of the Gentiles, then they will dwell in their own land, which I have given or which I gave to my servant Jacob, and they will dwell safely there, build houses and plant vineyards. Yes, they will dwell securely when I execute judgments on all those around them who despise them. Then they shall know that I am the Lord, their God. You guys, God is going to do an amazing work in Israel. And we read about this in Revelation. Again, most of this chapter is kind of looking so far forward to things that haven't even begun to happen yet or are kind of are partially beginning to happen, right? We know that Israel as a whole has been restored, right? The 1940s, right? We know that happened. But then the reality is, you guys, is that people, I don't know if you know this, people, Jews from all over the world are flocking back to Israel. And so this is sort of starting to happen. But are they safe? No, they're not safe. They're not safe. And it's not just Hezbollah right? It's not that long ago in the scheme of things, the 1960s, when the six, was six, seven-day war, six-day war, when they, they, all these nations came against them. And we read in the book of Revelation that it's going to happen again. There's going to be people that come against them, and God is going to move in a mighty way on their behalf again. And the fact is, is what we're reading here in verse 25 and 26 will come in the millennial kingdom. That's when it's going to come, when Jesus sets foot on earth and sets up Israel as the capital of the entire world, right? And when we read about all that, you guys, that's when this is gonna be true, that they will dwell in their own land in safety, that they're gonna build houses and plant vineyards and dwell securely. You guys, this is not right now, but God is going to do it. Again, I don't know, you guys, this is, it's a tough chapter, but to me, it's just such an exciting thing because here's God speaking to stuff that hasn't even happened yet. It's so far forward, right? Or not, maybe not that far forward, we don't know. But it's ahead of us in the moment, right? Now, thousands of years later. And the fact is, you guys, is that we can trust that God has a plan for his people. And guess what? Here's the most encouraging part. What does the Bible tell us? We're grafted in. We're grafted in. We're part of the vine. 
God knows what his plans are for us. God knows what his plans are for his people. God knows what his plans are. And you guys, the blessing is, is that we as Gentiles have been grafted in. That we don't just get to read this and be like, oh man, good for the Israel, you know, the people of Israel, like good for them. Yeah, good for them. Praise God for them. But guess what? We're gonna get to be a part of that in some way. We're going to be a part of that. Revelation speaks about the Gentiles being in heaven as well. That there's gonna be awesome things going on and we all get to be a part. And what is the only catalyst? Accepting Christ. Accepting Christ. Do you guys understand how cool it is to think that the Jews, many Jews are still waiting on the Messiah? Imagine what that's gonna look like when Jesus comes back. They'll be like, hey, there he is, <laughs> right? So I have a firm belief that there's gonna be many Jews brought to the Lord, many during the tribulation period and many who knows, clear up to the end. I don't know what this is all gonna look like, right? God knows. But I think it's painfully clear that there's definitely gonna be plenty of Jews left in Israel during the time of the millennial reign. God knows what he's doing, you guys. Let's pray. Thanks so much for listening to this message from Great Bay Calvary Church in Dover, New Hampshire. We're so glad you found us. If you want to learn more about our services or need prayer for something going on in your life, come connect with us at greatbaycalvary.com.